In this message and in the following three messages, I'm excited to share with you about something the Apostle Paul called the work of ministry. The work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? Well, that's precisely the question that I hope we can answer together directly from God's Word in these four studies. In short, the work of ministry is the church's vocation. The work of ministry is the church's vocation. It is not what saves us, but it does explain why God doesn't snatch us up to Himself the moment we are saved. It does explain what you're doing here. It represents our marching orders as God's people. Not only what we are called to give for the good of others, but equally important what we are called to receive for our own good. Given the foundational nature of this work, I think it's fair to say that the degree to which a church rightly understands and engages in the work of ministry directly affects whether it will grow in biblically healthy ways. Sanctification and salvations, plural, right? New life and growth in new life. So where should we begin when trying to understand this work of ministry? I think there's a slide that has that phrase on it. The work of ministry. We'll put that up there. There you go. The work of ministry. Where do we begin when trying to understand this work of ministry? Well, we have to begin with the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's how Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 describes Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. We must begin with the one who issued our marching orders. Makes sense, doesn't it? We must begin with Jesus. Look with me at Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20. Mark 1, 14 through 20. If you need a Bible, there are some in the back for you to grab a copy of. Or navigate over on your device if you're using that this morning to Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20. Let's consider how Jesus explains and embodies the work of ministry. Look with me at Mark 1. Now after John, that's John the Baptist, the baptizer. When After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, northern Israel, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. They were in the boat mending their nets and immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. 
Okay, to better understand this passage and how it contributes to our understanding of the work of ministry, let me share with you three brief explanations and three brief observations. Three brief explanations and three brief observations. The explanations we'll begin with are definitely connected to the whole passage, but they're really built around that central verse, verse 17. Verse 17. They're all connected there. They're anchored there. So for example, consider this explanation. First of three brief explanations. When Jesus issues the call that we find in verse 17, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, we need to see that, take a look, number one, follow me is a call concerning lordship. Follow me is a call concerning lordship. I don't want you to miss the fact that the call of verse 17 is an expression of the proclamation in verse 15. Let me say that again. Please do not miss the fact that the call in verse 17 is an expression of the proclamation in verse 15. What verse 15 then confirms when we look back at it is that the work of ministry always begins with the gospel. The work of ministry always begins with the gospel. And central to the gospel message is this idea, this theme of kingdom. Kingdom. May not be the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the gospel, but believe me, it is central to the gospel. As we will go on to see, the call of Christ in verse 17 was not only issued by Jesus the teacher, but even more so by Jesus the King, God's King, who says, follow me. What a good reminder that this call to follow Christ is ultimately a gospel call. Please don't miss that. The call to follow Christ is ultimately a gospel call. Look at how Jesus explained this in John 8, 12. We'll have that on the screen for you here. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you recognize that language? That's gospel language. From darkness to light. That's gospel language. In the gospel of John, that's talking about the light of eternal life. But how can we call this a gospel call here in Mark chapter 1 verse 15? How can we call it a gospel call if the cross and resurrection are not being preached? That would be a good question to ask. Well, one obvious answer is that the cross and the resurrection had not happened yet. It, they had not taken place yet. 
They were still three, three and a half years away from this point. So what we have, in fact, here is an early stage of the gospel. We have an early stage of the gospel, the very same gospel that will eventually be filled up, that will eventually be fully realized as Jesus fulfills His ministry. Does that make sense? It will be filled up as Jesus fulfills His ministry. And it's important to note in that regard that Jesus, as He preaches here repentance, He's preaching repentance here in light of the kingdom theme. The nearness of the kingdom of God. Why is He preaching repentance? Because sin is a coup. Sin is a coup. It is rebellion. It is every one of us, each one of us, setting up a rival kingdoms to God and then vying for control and power against Him. Resisting His reign over us and saying, I got this. I'm calling the shots. This will go my way. Keep that in mind. That's essential to what we see. We follow our own desires rather than God's will, and thus we are guilty before God. Remember the mention of John the baptizer here. Why is that so important? Because repentance is the transition from the ministry of John to the ministry of Jesus. John's baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. A baptism of repentance. And so we see that connection here. But the gospel is good news. Why is it good news? Think about the themes. It's good news of mercy from the true king. Now there is a new era of mercy for us instigators, us plotters, us rebels. There is mercy from God for you and for me. That's the good news that Jesus was announcing. It is His gracious invitation to turn from sin and self and trust in the loving leadership of Christ. Remember, Christ the King. But going back to verse 17, it's also critical. Remember that call in verse 17? It's also critical that, number two, we see, we recognize that I will make you become is a call concerning discipleship. What did we see about follow me? It was a call concerning lordship. It was a call from the king concerning lordship. This next phrase in verse 17, I will make you become, is a call concerning discipleship. As I alluded to a few minutes ago, Jesus is not only the promised king coming to proclaim the promised kingdom. He's also the perfect teacher. Capital T. He is the perfect teacher. And His call to us to follow Him results in a radically new relationship of transformation. Do you believe that? Jesus talked about this gospel call to discipleship in these very well-known words from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. He says, Come to Me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's gospel language. Rest for your souls. Like light and life, 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and do what? Learn from me. Learn from me, says the teacher. Come to me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What is discipleship? We hear that phrase bandied around in the church quite a bit. What is discipleship? Well, I love this simple uh, summary from uh, our friend Dallas Willard who said, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if He were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if He were you. This call of Christ, therefore, was a call not simply to divine forgiveness and divine reconciliation, but it was also a call to divine transformation through Jesus. Even more specifically, transformation into the likeness of Jesus. As Jesus declared about a disciple generically, He said this, everyone, when he or she is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That makes sense. That's what discipleship is. Being a student, an apprentice to someone else. That's what it is. To become like the teacher. And that truth leads us to point number three. Point number three, Fishers of men is a call concerning partnership. Fishers of men is a call concerning partnership. If a disciple or apprentice to a, let's say, woodworker trains to become like their teacher in that he or she becomes a skilled craftsman, in what way do disciples of Jesus become like Him? Does that question make sense to you? If a person is training as a disciple of a woodworker and they become a skilled craftsman in the end, in what way do disciples of Jesus become like Him? Well, in many, many ways we know from Scripture. In many ways. But I think it's incredibly helpful and appropriate to actually let Jesus summarize those many ways. Let's use a summary that Jesus Himself gave us in regard to God's design for human life. Here's that summary of the ways that you are to become like Jesus. Here it is. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus did those perfectly. Jesus does those perfectly. If you want to become like Jesus, this is how you're becoming like Him. This is the goal that we strive toward, to love like Jesus. Because Jesus says, this is the end of human design. This is what you were made for. This is the highest achievement. This is the highest end of your human existence. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It is those commandments though, I want you to see this. 
It is those commandments that stand behind this idea of fishing for men. Those commandments. Those commandments. Fishers of men. You see, take a look at this phrase. There is no higher love for others than that which helps them love God above everything else. Do you believe that? There is no higher love for others than that which helps them love God above everything else. That is the work of ministry to which Jesus called these men. That's it. It was a call to partner with Him. It was a call to become like Him in laboring to extend the kingdom of God to draw others in one life at a time, one heart changed at a time. Now think about that. Jesus made disciples of these men by calling them to join Him in making disciples. Right from the outset. Right from the get-go. It was part of His call to them. Now, in light of those three explanations, do you remember what they were? Follow me is a call concerning lordship. I will make you become is a call concerning discipleship. And fishers of men is a call concerning partnership. In light of those three explanations about verse 17 drawing in the rest of the passage, think with me through three related observations. For example, number one or first, the call of Christ is an absolute call. It is an absolute call. That is, there is and can be no call on a human being's life higher than this call. I'm going to say that again. Are you ready? There is and can be no call on a human being's life higher than this call. The call to make money, that is to livelihood. The call to vocational satisfaction or vocational legacy. Even the call of family obligations. What this passage makes clear is that all of these must be secondary to the call of Christ. Secondary. What did we just read? We read this. In answering the radical call of Christ, these men leave behind their nets. They leave behind their boats. They leave behind their co-workers. They even leave behind their father, two of the guys. And they follow. As Mark will go on to describe for us in this Gospel account, this doesn't mean they abandon fishing, and family altogether. It won't be too long. It's in the same chapter chapter that we're in Peter's house with his sick mother-in-law. It doesn't abandon them altogether, right? While some things, of course, did have to be abandoned for the sake of Christ's call. Later, in chapter 10, I believe, he'll call another man to follow him. And there are things that man needs to abandon. He needs to give everything up. 
sell everything, take the proceeds, give to the poor, bless others, and come and follow me. And Christ reassures him, you will have treasure in heaven if you do so. There are things at times that must be abandoned for the sake of Christ's call, but this passage is ultimately about priorities. Priorities. About what comes first. The account here simply demonstrates how these men recognize who it was that called to them. That is, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. He was the one calling to them. And they understood that the work to which He called them, the work of ministry, is the most important work in all the world. To be clear, it was and it is both a work of receiving and giving, of becoming and fishing. Verse 17, of becoming and fishing. Here's a second observation. This call of Christ is a fundamental call. It is a fundamental call. There's a reason we find this episode at the very outset of Jesus' ministry. It's right here at the beginning. There's a reason it is set here in the context of the gospel of kingdom proclamation. There's a reason this call is the next thing out of the mouth of Jesus after verse 15. It's because this call concerning lordship, discipleship, and partnership is fundamental to genuine Christianity. It's fundamental. Where it is lacking, you will find either a weak church or a counterfeit faith. This call is fundamental. But it's that fundamental aspect that leads to a third point. You see it there on the screen. The call of Christ is a relevant call. It is a relevant call. It's relevant for you and me today. Have you asked yourself that question yet? How does this story relate to my life? How does this story relate to my life? What bearing does it have on me? Isn't this just an apostolic origin story? Right? Isn't this just an apostolic origin story? Well, it is that. It is that because in two chapters later, these men will go on to be appointed as apostles. But in this account, he's calling disciples, not apostles. He's calling disciples. And what's interesting about these apostles, those who would later become apostles, these four men along with others, what's interesting is that they're hardly ever called apostles in the Gospels. Just... Very rare. Maybe once, one other time in Mark they're called that, but it's kind of an interesting reference. They're just not called that. They're called disciples over and over and over again. In the New Testament, there are 268 usages of that word disciple. Do you know how many times the word Christian is used in the Bible? Three. Three. It's a beautiful word. It's a rare word though. And the first time it's ever used, that first time, it's just describing that the disciples were there called, that, that's where they were called Christians for the first time. 
So we know it went on to become a very common word in the Roman Empire in the early centuries of Christianity. But this idea of disciples and discipleship, this was central to this. These men are being called as disciples, not yet appointed as apostles. Why were they continually called even after being appointed as apostles in chapter 3? Why did, why did they continue to be called disciples? I think it's because these men were first disciples and their experiences with Jesus recorded in these books we call Gospels with a capital G were meant to teach every subsequent disciple, every generation about what it meant to truly follow Christ. That we can read about these men, we can read about those early disciples, and we can see something of ourselves there. We can learn something about what it means to follow Christ by watching and learning from those disciples. And if you are a genuine Christian this morning, if you've responded to the gospel call of Jesus Christ on your life, then you are one of those subsequent disciples. That's who you are. You're one of those subsequent disciples. Did you know in the early church, specifically in the book of Acts, after the term brothers or the brethren, the brothers and sisters, the most common name for Christian believers was disciples. It's used almost 30 times in the book of Acts to talk about the first believers. Remember, these weren't people who heard the audible voice of Christ as they were walking by the sea or as doing their jobs or as they were in the marketplace, Christ didn't come along and say, hey, you know, come follow me. That's not, that's not what happened to these people and yet they were still called disciples of the Lord. You are a subsequent disciple. So I believe this story here in Mark chapter 1 about the call of Christ always has had something important to say to every disciple of Jesus about lordship, discipleship, and partnership. It always has had something to say, and it still does have something to say to us about the call of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the call of Jesus was and is a radical call. A radical call. Now, I grew up in the 80s, so I knew the word radical had become kind of like a, dude, radical, like so awesome. You know, like it was like this word that was just, a, you know, it's like sick today or some of these other words that just mean, it's, it's great, it's awesome, it's wonderful, it's amazing, it's whatever. Look at this definition of the word radical. Here's what radical ultimately means. Radical relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something. Far-reaching or thorough. Somebody says, we may need to do a radical overhaul of this plant. Makes sense, right? You understand what they're saying when they say that. Well, well, using this word this morning to talk about the radical call of Christ on your life, using that word in light of this passage and many related passages, I believe God's word teaches us that the call of Christ speaks to the fundamental nature of your life in this world. The fundamental nature of your life in this world and has far-reaching implications for how you live that life. Do you believe that? That the call of Christ 
speaks to the fundamental nature of your life in this world and has far-reaching implications, thorough implications for how you live that life? Think about it. Radical. Think about it. Lordship, discipleship, partnership. The call of Christ is radical because the Lordship of Jesus makes your allegiance to Him the highest priority and the most important relationship in your life. Radical. The call of Christ is radical because discipleship to Jesus makes you utterly and joyfully dependent on His unrivaled Word and His example in everything. Radical. And this call of Jesus is radical because partnership with Jesus Christ gloriously hijacks your agenda, your efforts, your goals, your hands, your feet, your ears, your mouth, your life's work, then resets your trajectory according to the radical reality of the inbreaking kingdom of God. Radical. Remember what becoming fishers of men meant here. It simply meant these men would become partners with Jesus in the work of kingdom extension. The work of ministry. Faith family, here's the main takeaway. You ready? Take a look. A right understanding of the work of ministry must be founded upon and fueled by a right understanding of the call of Christ on your life. Your life. That's where all of this begins. Your life. Your heart. My heart. This is not a church program to try out. This is not the pastor's latest ministry emphasis. This is not a next level commitment that you may someday pursue when the time is right. This is not simply a call to those gifted. This is not simply a call to the mature. This is not someone else's lane. Brothers and sisters, this is the fundamental and absolute radical call of Jesus on your life. That's what this is. Please don't confuse it for anything else. Please don't miss the import of what I'm saying. The work of ministry must be founded upon and fueled by a right understanding of the call of Christ on your life. And not only did Jesus leave us divine explanations in His Word, not only did He leave us a divine example to follow, He gave us divine power as well. Do you believe that? He gave us divine power power through redemption from and resurrection in and restoration to God Himself. We are plugged into the wall. All three prongs. 
We are connected and we are powered by this new relationship with God as new creations in Christ. Lordship, discipleship, and partnership describe the whole of the Christian life for which Jesus died and defeated death. Let me say that again. Lordship, discipleship, and partnership describe the whole of the Christian life for which Jesus Christ died and defeated death. We separate any of those apart. We are doing violence to the Word of God. We are watering down and compromising the radical call of Christ. And I say that with passion because this call is so good. It is so good. You may hear it and you may hate it at first. Hear it and you may think, no, I'm, I'm more, your, your fingers might tighten around that net. You might step back into the boat at that point, right? You may, you may cut, cuddle up to daddy in the boat at that point. And yet the voice of Christ continues to go out to you. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Here's the question for each one of us. With a radical faith, have I, as His disciple, answered, or will I answer, the call of Christ on my life by surrendering everything for the Lordship of, discipleship to, and partnership with Jesus in the work of ministry. Let me say that again. Here's the question each one of us has to answer. With a radical faith, have I as His disciple answered, or will I answer the call of Christ on my life by surrendering everything for the Lordship of, discipleship to, and partnership with Jesus in the work of ministry? Or we could also ask, will I pour out my life here and now for the one who was poured out for me then and there? Call, isn't it? That's the call of Jesus Christ on your life and my life. Listen to His call again. Follow me. Follow me. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Let's close our eyes. Let's take a moment of quietness before God. Reflecting on what we've heard about this passage, what we've heard from God's Word. I would ask you to take a moment and pray to yourself. Pray that you would hear or hear again or hear more clearly the call of Jesus Christ on your life. Pray that you would hear that call as absolute and reject or reshuffle everything else in your life in light of His voice. Pray that you would remember 
and would regularly meditate on what that price was the king paid in love to bring you into his kingdom. Pray that you would desire above everything to glorify God by becoming more and more like Jesus. Pray that you, like Jesus, would commit yourself or commit yourself again to the work of ministry. That you would long for the kingdom to extend and others to be gathered in and built up. Take a moment and pray those things.